0: It's the most all-star-studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.
1: Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, he wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT all american 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get the All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers.
2: I appreciate the intro as always, brother. And uh, yeah, man, excited about the show today. Longhorns 9 and 1. I know a lot of people want to look different, but you still got to appreciate 9 and 1.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we go any further, let me remind you, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a subscriber, thank you so much. That's how we keep this podcast rolling right along. If you're not a subscriber, anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search horns247. That's horns247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button when you see the podcast feed, and you'll get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Wednesday mornings. Also, if you're interested in being a sponsor of the Longhorn Blitz podcast, Longhorn Blitz pod at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of us. So, Longhorn Blitz pod at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. We got a, a, a lot to unpack here from the TCU game. I, I want to start with the game first. And then we'll go to the injury slash health slash roster front. Rod, I'm I'm glad Sark came out on Monday talking about the second half. I feel like we get the I, I usually feel like coaches sometimes we get the more raw, honest version of coaches immediately after the the game and the post game when they don't have time to really think about things. But it seems yeah. like we get more raw Sark on Monday when he actually has had time to 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 process it. I just like the fact that he talked about the defense, especially the secondary in the second half, what it boiled down to was softer coverage. Guys weren't playing very good technique and they just didn't tackle well because it's kind of what it boiled down to. It wasn't like anything. You didn't have to really be an X's and O's savant to figure that out. Some of the same stuff we've talked about that's bothered Texas. The technique wasn't good. And when you don't tackle well, that's how you give up 300 yards passing in one half of football.
2: Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting, right? Cause sark for the first time was publicly you know critical of the defense really I, I usually he's not that critical i mean he actually took a shot at the defense saying they wouldn't have tackled uh remember the curl route ended up turning into a big explosive play they oh yeah could have stopped them. um he basically said they wouldn't have pulled it pulled their flat pulled his flag in seven on seven yeah like he they took a shot at them, and he said the you know, essentially implied the play calling wasn't aggressive enough and implied that the play of the players themselves was not aggressive enough. I mean, he was, I'm not, I, I don't think I remember him or recall him being that openly critical of the defense. And he did it in his own way, right? He it wasn't just, he, just he, he didn't throw him under the bus, but mm-hmm. I don't remember him being that critical. And I think it's frustration, right? I've i have said it on this uh, Lone Horn Bliss podcast and I've said it on other platforms. I've watched enough film where I'm done. See, I'm enjoying this experience right now. I started out saying, hey, we got to appreciate 91. And the reason is, is because I am done expecting this team to be something they aren't. And I've been like that since the U of H game, because the truth is, first, it starts on defense, by the way. uh, But offense has their issues, right? Red zone, and stuff like that. Like, they just, they are what they are. Right, those issues aren't improving. We haven't seen Texas get better in some of those categories, and we can just consider those, you know, just flaws of the team. By the way, 98% of college football is flawed, right? Um, it's like two or three teams that may not have those tragic or, you know, maybe tragic, but have those, you know, fake Shakespearean flaws, right? So the truth is, Texas is flawed, and I am not expecting them to play a complete game. I'm not expecting four full quarters of football anymore. I think everybody adjusted their expectations after the Bama game and thought, man, if this team can get better week to week, and if they can play four full quarters of football like this week to week, they're going to be the best team in the country. And that is true, but they don't and they won't. And they aren't right. Because, they haven't gotten better week to week. Do they find ways to win and be clutch in critical moments? Yes. And I love that about this team. Do they respond to adversity real well in the fourth quarter? Yes. Do they have outstanding football character? Yes. Do they have a tremendous amount of football grit? Yes. Testicular fortitude? Yes. But are they going to summon 2005 Texas and dominate a team for four full quarters? No. No. That's not who they are. And you know what? It's unfair of us to try to expect them to be something they aren't. And I think that was Sar- that was part of his frustration with the defense because those same issues that I've been on this podcast talking about since basically the- after the Alabama game and definitely after the U H game, they haven't gotten better. And, he- and you know they've been emphasizing them in practice, yeah. and yet they haven't improved on that. And I think that was partially him – you know, the frustration of him basically saying, you know what, this defense ain't gotten better. They are what they are. He was actually asked, are you going to play a four, a a four, four quarter game? He was asked, you know, what's the last time you guys did it? What's the last time you got that satisfaction? And what will it take for you to play a complete game? And he said, I don't know. He said straight up, I don't know, which means that's frustration. Guys, that means in practice, he's addressed it. That means he's talked to the team. That means he's been, he's hit every, he's checked every possible box of, of what you can do to uh, to, uh, to address the issue of them not being able to play a full game. And he just told just the head coach, guys, he knows the team better. Anybody saying, man, I don't know. All right, we're yeah. we working on it, but we all – he, he basically has come to the same conclusion I came to, watching the film. And the team is – they are what they are. we got to find ways to win. We'll try to get better, but they're not going to play a full four-quarter game. I, I just don't see it. And it's you're going to end up in, in, in hours, with Iowa State playing doing the same thing, but it's okay because they're not in one. And they win these games. So all last year, we wanted them to win one-score games. We wanted them to win uh, games that come down to the fourth quarter in clutch, critical moments. They're doing that. So I've I've accepted it, and now I'm experiencing joy from this experience.
0: Yeah, and you hit on a lot of it right there, Rod, whenever talking about like you can't really expect these type of things unless like you're 05 Texas, like once every three years or so you're going to have a team in college football that can dominate from beginning to end. But over, other than that, you aren't going to have that many of those teams. And when you do, you got to appreciate it. But right now, like if you even look back at the Alabama game, the Alabama game, I remember the whole first half being like, man, Texas should be ahead by a lot more. They should be playing a lot better. Have the scoreboard representing how well they're playing. You, They still were even struggling in that game and making little mistakes. But we see those spikes and that upside, which is what you really need. And like – then you see the 13 missed tackles in this game. But then you have, like, say, four sacks, four QB hits, and 19 pressures. So you're getting both ends of the spectrum. And when you get a guy like Quinn back, it really helps with the offense to be able to get those spike performances on be able to cancel out some of the times when you have – negative plays or haven't been able to put it all together. But when you look at the landscape of college football, this is one of those years where you don't necessarily have one of those teams like in 05 Texas Mm -hmm. that's dominating or the way that Georgia was a team that just straight up dominated a couple years there was you know in the mid 2010s there was a couple of those bama games but the other ones you can be a team like texas if you're able to win those one score games like you're saying and be able to capitalize and you get those spike perform like we've seen it now jonathan brooks being gone is going to be something that could really hurt because you could get a spike performance in the passing game with the explosives or have a game that you can rely on a guy like brooks or have a game where your d-line dominates but we've also inside Each game seen say turnovers Or like right now It's obvious that the zone defense Jade Barron talks about it In the post game you know passing off routes Has been something that they haven't been good at And it doesn't seem to be something They're getting better at and now that It's on film you're going to see more and more Teams understand well why are we Running into this brick wall this is Four straight games where you Quit running into the brick wall Just go and throw the ball and See what you can do and take advantage of the weaknesses of the defense
1: yeah i've got i just got a personnel question for rod here in a second but i'll I'll just piggyback on what you guys are saying if you're a texas fan and and i you know i i I see i don't know why i'm just kind of drawn to more than negative stuff on social media and i don't know why i hate that about myself but i see you know all the you know sark needs to figure out how to coach this thing for four quarters and sark needs to do this and sark's sark's gonna cost us a game you can within the within the context of a single game as a texas fan you can be upset with some of the things you see that aren't to your liking that's a fair game but to to say things like well i mean this just isn't a national championship caliber team this isn't a team that can compete for a national title this is you know we, we should be looking better than this dude you're nine and one you know how many <laughs> nine win regular seasons texas has had since 2010 one other one that's it like, and like the most
0: impressive road victory in college football this you, season.
1: You're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have the college the CFP rankings are gonna be unveiled tonight. It, it's gonna matter. Like Texas is gonna be in there. That hasn't mattered up until this year. And the CFP has been around for damn near a decade now. Yeah. So you just gotta you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, like you gotta just take it in. Context is king, man. You got to context is key, you've got to understand within the context of what you're looking at and say, yeah, there were some things in the TCU game that I didn't like, but you know what? This team is still nine and one. This team still controls their own destiny to get to Arlington and play for a big 12 championship, which Rod, to your point, I think that's the biggest thing. I think the Bama win in and of itself skewed a lot of expectations, changed expectations, but I go back to what my expectations were for this team at the start of the year, get to Arlington, give yourself a chance to win a conference championship. And then man, if you're in the playoff discussion or whatever at that point, so be it, but just get to Arlington and you're so very close. Not only are you very close to making that happen, you control whether you get there or not. You couldn't ask for Texas to be in a better spot. Like the frustrating thing with me for this team, honestly, the more I think about it is the Oklahoma loss because I know Texas is a better football team than Oklahoma. If you play that game 10 times, Texas probably wins it eight times, but that was one of the two that they didn't. And and I have no doubt that Texas is a better football team than Oklahoma, but they weren't on that day. They didn't play well enough to win. And to your point, Rod, if this team does put together a full four-quarter game, are they capable of competing with anybody in the country? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think there are parts of this team with Quinn yep. Ewers when he's at his best with your defensive line, and I'm yeah. even talking about Michigan and Georgia. I think Texas, a, a Texas team playing their A game for four full quarters can mm-hmm. get on the field with Michigan or Georgia. I'm not saying they'd win the game. I'm saying they would hang in there for four quarters.
2: I totally agree with you. Just like Rod, yeah. I,
1: I, Rod, I go back to your 2001 team. Would you guys have beaten Miami if you played Miami in Pasadena? I don't know. But I damn sure would have liked to have seen what it looked like for that Texas team to play its a game against Miami, and how interesting that thing would have been to yeah. go athlete for athlete with Miami, to go to go line of scrimmage with Miami. I would mm-hmm. like to see what it looked like. I have confidence that Texas can't compete with Michigan and with Georgia and with Ohio State, and we know they can compete with Alabama and whoever else you want to throw in that discussion. But at this point the name of the game is survive in advance. Yes, you can go hypotheticals all you want. Well, what if this happens this time and this happens this game? Guess what? It didn't. And don't worry about it. Don't worry about it in the moment right now because we know we talk about it all the time. One score games, typically those outcomes don't carry over from one year to the next. Guess what? They didn't carry over from last year because last year those games would go against Texas. Now they're going for Texas. So you're just kind of maybe benefiting from some of that now. Just like I said, the best way I can put it, man, just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just keep everything in the proper context.
2: Totally agree, man. Dude, I think I use, I I use have probably been more of the most critical person of Longhorn football probably in the last know, 15 years since I've been doing sports entertainment, right? And But it's not really critical. I'm just – I am detailed-oriented. I try to look at the game like a player or a coach. And but when it's time to give props, you know, and appreciate and give flowers, I mean, let's do it. And this this is the year for it. I mean, they're 91. They found a way to win these games. Now, are there things that are they're limiting this team from being, as you talked about, Jeff, the best team in the country? Yeah, because in that Oklahoma game, like you said, they had a chance to win that game right now. They would probably be number one team in the country. Yeah. They had beaten Oklahoma undefeated. There's no doubt about. it. I think they'd leapfrogged some of the other teams just based on the win they have in that Alabama game and the win they had in that Oklahoma game. Um, but you know that's okay because I mean nobody predicted this team was going to be perfect. <laughs> all right, this team is flawed, but they are a really good team and they're on the verge of being a great team. They're right on the verge of it. They know it too. Sark knows it too. That's why he's frustrated. He's like, "Damn it, y'all have the y'all have the potential to be great." But we have these lapses, and they're they're the gift and the curse, right? It's every game is the best of times and the worst of times now. you have these stretches where they go thermonuclear supernova on teams, and they get up twenty points, double digits, right? And you have these stretches also where they have these lapses and these lulls defensively and even offensively, where they go into kind of a funk. And sometimes it's it's Sark, sometimes it's you know the the players not executing, sometimes it's defense, sometimes it's all three phases, and the The problem is now that that lull, that bad stretch, is happening right toward the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Right, it was that you you get, remember that Wyoming game? You had the bad stretch early on in the game, right? Yeah. Yep. Early on in the game, it was like, oh, that's fun. And then, boom! Where'd you have the Where'd you have the supernova stretch? We had that in in the fourth quarter. They pulled away twenty one points. Bump, done. Right. Look at the T, Look at the uh, the TCU game. And hell, the K-State game kind of plays the same way. They they in the TCU game, they pretty much go up on TCU, at the end of that second, the end of the second quarter, basically end of the first half. That's yeah. when they start pounding them. And it's like, damn, Texas is about to blow TCU out. It was like a a, a decently close competitive game until Texas went on their their, their their supernova thermonuclear stretch. But the problem is Texas still has that that bad lull coming. It's it's inevitable, right? You're gonna get the good, you're gonna get the bad. And now the bad, just like in the K-State game, just like in the uh, TCU game, it's coming toward the end of the game. And you're surviving because you're clutch and you're making clutch plays in critical moments, game-winning goal-line stands against U of H and K State, and the AD Mitchell catch, which we gotta talk about, right? And uh, you know, and you're making your own luck too. Look at Jay Witt, uh, probably biggest player of the game, the interception yep. by Quinn Ewers. He goes down, hustles it, and that plays the epitome of Jay Witt. That's why he's gonna go down as in Longhorn lore as one of the most beloved Longhorn players of all time. But that was, you lose that game if not for him making that play. You lose that game period, right? And he made the play at Xavier Word. So, you're making, some, yeah. so you're, you're making some of your own luck, too. My point is, you're, the, the Longhorn fans know because Longhorn fans are Saturday football fans, you're trending toward an L. You're trending toward it. It's it's coming. We, we, we say this in college football all the time. We see a team like, man, that team been trying to lose for like three weeks. <laughs> we know they're going to lose this game. So Texas is trending toward losing one of these games, the last two, and maybe even a Big 12 title game where they had that bad stretch of play in the fourth quarter or in the late third toward the end of the fourth quarter. And they allow teams to come back or they allow teams to make it a game in the fourth quarter. So that's the, that's the test for Sark. You got to figure out, first of all, you would like to not have those bad stretches, but, they are a reality. We I can play the name in the last four games, but even early on in the season we saw that that's this team. We would have thought they would be a full complete team, but they're not. So if you're Sark, you gotta find a way when you see that bad stretch coming. How do you how do you break them out of how you snap your team out of that lull? Because that's what they are now. They're basically like one of those streaky NBA teams, right? They're gonna have that mm-hmm. that real good streak, and they're gonna have that really bad streak. You know the good streak is coming, and when you got the good streak, you can ride that wave. But then as a coach, you thinking, "All right, well, we ain't had our bad streak yet. We know that bad streak is coming. How the hell do I, when I get that bad streak, and we are in that funk, offensively, defensively, how do I snap my team out of it?" That's your conundrum, sir. Do
1: you know who? Do yep, no, uh, you know who did that, Rod? Who who that sounds like? That sounds like Lincoln-Riley's Oklahoma teams. Oh, good point. I like that. Yeah, I mean, because they, they would do that. I mean, how many how many games do we see Lincoln-Riley teams get up by, you know, 14, 17 points, and then, like, why is Oklahoma having to field an onside kick to win this game?
0: Yep, and you know, why I- is their defense giving up these things whenever, like, you know they have the players up front, and but they end up giving up the points?
1: It, it's so – yeah like i guess you just got to keep you got to keep things in, in the proper context but
0: One One thing I wanted to point out Rod Rod brought up The Whittington play and I think it's so Important that not only Whittington He pointing out on that play but I remember So many fans were after Xavier Worthy after last season and how he's Just like this flashy guy like it's the only time I've been sucked into the Twitter depths Where I'm like trying to get fans To not try to run a guy out of town Because it was absurd how much people Had turned on him and it's like man on that Whittington Play look at Worthy what he does He's like the intended receiver and he gets up and he hauls down so fast that he's able to recover the strip from Whittington. And whenever you're having these type of mistakes from players, like I like to see the way that Texas has it playing out where it isn't mistakes from effort. It's mistakes from execution. And this team seems to be the team that, I mean, the effort, you can't question anybody's intent or effort. Now, they maybe make mistakes from time to time, say in defense, on communication, or maybe don't read the right thing on offense. But it's never something that you're like, oh, man, that guy just doesn't seem locked in today or doesn't seem to be giving it his all. And like, I don't, I don't know. Normally, I always, think players are normally giving it their all because this is like what they've spent their entire life to. So whenever people question that with me, it always perturbs me maybe more than other stuff. And that's the one thing I love about this team is this team leaves it all out there on the field and there's never those type of questions.
1: Well what, what's keeping me sane in this and why I'm I don't get on this podcast and I, I haven't rant and raved, I don't think, during this run and when why I'm not going to out to the TCU game And I'm not, you know, recusing this team of any blemishes or flaws, but it's almost, especially you look at the three games that have been close, right? The U of H game, the K state, and then TCU. It's because the, the lows are where it falls off or where it gets away from Texas. It's explainable. Like go back, like the U of H game. What, what, the the great thing about that was you came off a of bye week and we talked about that hot start. It's like man, you planned during the bye week, like you had a good plan coming out. But and in hindsight, because I was pretty hot about Houston after the game, man, if Sark doesn't call that f- that field goal fake, that might be a completely different game. Mm. You know, we talked about that. That was that was you know Sark again walking up to the line of aggressiveness and recklessness and, and crossing over, K State. If Malik Murphy doesn't start turning the football over, that's a different game at the end. It's a different outcome. And, and for this one, I go back to the drive in the fourth quarter that ended with the Burt Auburn field goal. If Jonathan Brooks doesn't get hurt on that drive, guys, that's prob- that was shaping up to be the drive that was going to put TCU away. Because up until Brooks gets hurt, you've got – Baxter for nine Baxter for seven Baxter for three Brooks for seven Brooks for four, then Brooks for seven. When he gets hurt, you were, you were just running the ball down TCU's gullet and they couldn't really stop it. And you were getting a surge. You were getting in a rhythm and then, you know, Brooks injury happens. You get out of rhythm. You settle for a field goal, but let's just say if Texas scores right there, guys, it's, it's 33, 13 with about eight minutes left. Man, at that point, who cares how many pass yards you give up? You're up twenty in the fourth quarter. As long as as long as they're taking time off the clock and you're not giving up chunk yardage plays, which goes back to the poor tackling. Man, it's it, it's over at that point. So again, am I wrong? Am I wrong, Rod? I just I feel like the the issues that have happened to Texas, and the thing that bothers me is Sart gets accused of of not having the killer instinct, not or, or being lackadaisical. And by the way. Y'all complain about this. Y'all need to get off that all gas no brakes thing. Like it was a moniker. And it's cool, but y'all need to stop. Y'all need to get off that and stop throwing that back in people's faces when they have these lows. But it, it's it's that all these things. The reason why they're easier for me to digest is because they're all explainable.
0: Yeah, That's I. Totally I yeah, I totally I, agree. And it's a double-edged sword there. You can't play both sides of it because what did we love about the Bama game? Man, Texas got the ball, and what did they do for the final seven minutes? They ran the ball down their throats and ended this game pure dominance. It's like... You can't want them to continue to throw the ball all over them and just put up the video game numbers the way Sark does in the first half and make them do that in the second half while also having them be a dominant line of scrimmage team and run the ball to end the game. Like I remember us last year all the time wondering where – The run game we got Bijan. Why we need to ride Bijan in like Texas did it against TCU at TCU two years ago, and we didn't see that type of run game in the fourth quarter. The beginning of this year, we started to see it, and as funny as fans are wanting them to just air it out at the end of the games, there to where I understood what they were wanting to do, you would like to see the execution both ways, but for Texas to have the luxury to, I mean, if if you can do it against Bama, I got a good feeling that Sark felt like, Hey man, we can go out there and we can end this game right now on the road and leave with a victory, which is all we need to do. Who cares about style points?
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. But here's the, the problem with the Bama game. As I see it, you prepare it for months, you prepare it for months, period. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the guys in terms of, you know, them being ready to play and, them executing in critical moments, knowing exactly what to do. Yeah. They were well prepped, very well prepped. You don't have months; you got days, right? And I think, like I said, I always say this, this We talked about this with Tom Bo Herman, right? Yep. Like, yeah, it's the reason Tom Bo Herman was great, had a great bowl record, because that's not real football, <laughs> right? <laughs> that ain't real football. Real football, you got about five to six days to prepare a game plan, get ready to play, and get ready to go, that's it. All right. And that's why you can see teams lose. Like, man, how'd they lose? Well, how'd Oklahoma State lose to uh, UCF? Well, Oklahoma State was riding high (laughs) over that big win over Oklahoma. And that week, uh, guys probably were distracted, didn't play that hard. They probably partied a lot on campus because they were the big men on campus. And that's how it go. Look at Oklahoma. Same thing when they beat Texas. Right. The All that stuff plays into it. And I think for Texas, you start. Looking at it right now, the the struggle for them is they haven't gotten better week to week. I'm not criticizing them, that's just the reality of it. They don't they haven't gotten better week to week. They find a way to win week to week. But they're meeting teams that are getting better week to week. Right now, these teams aren't great teams. They started out rough, they started out tough, but this is the end of the season in. You know, hey, man, you're playing some of your best football. You've got reps and you're starting to, oh, now I find the light went off for a lot of these players on these teams. Iowa State's playing some of their best football. They're getting better week to week. They're getting better as the season goes on. Alabama, you don't want to see Bama now. Thank God you saw Bama in week two. You don't want to see Bama right now. They're getting better week to week. The the, the struggle for Lowland fans is the reality is their team is not getting better week to week necessarily, but they're finding ways to win week to week. The frustration for Sarkis, he's, no, he sees it because just like I see it, he's like, the, the same damn issue we had week three or four, we got again. We still got yeah. it. Same issue. They're still attacking us with the same stuff. We drilled it in practice over and over and over again. I've been working red zone for 10 weeks and I can't figure it out. <laughs> he can't figure it out. They can't figure it out. They can't figure out targets to bunch. They can't figure out too many defense. Actually, they got to pick in too many defense. Shout out. That was actually TCU. So shout out to them. Mm-hmm. But they can't figure out um, hell, empty formation just uh, started uh, to arise. and and that's become an issue for them. Uh, inside cuts and inside levers—they can't really figure that out. Passing off routes um, in 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 in, in uh, zone coverage, and they can't really figure that out. So communication is on the back end—they haven't figured it out. So it, it's—they're a good team because they're finding ways to win games. But Sark's frustration is, and Longhorn fans as well, is that they haven't solved the problems. What do I say about coaches? They're problem solvers. What are your problems? Solve the problems. You are solving the problems week to week. By the end of the season, you're gonna be a damn good football team. You pretty much yep. well solved all the issues that have arisen. Socks' frustration is now he hasn't solved all the problems, they're still there,
0: yeah, yeah. And that's where you know we've talked about what was the biggest problem last year. The team wasn't able to win those close games, and it, a lot of the signs sometimes of a good team is being able to come through in the clutch and make the plays you need to play. Make and this team, even though they've been close, it's like Texas fans may not remember, but like some of the best MAC teams, like at the end of the season in 04, you were down 35 to 7 against Oki State and Les Miles and had to come back with like one of the most improbable comebacks in school history. And that's after playing a really close game against Missouri 28 20. And then you had to go to Lawrence, Kansas and have. Vince Young hit Tony Jeffrey for a touchdown to win 27-23 or even the national championship year. If it's not for a Michael Griffin blocked field or a punt in A&M, you maybe don't win that game. And that game also late in the season at Okie State, you were down 28-9 and that's like the best Texas team ever. And both of those games came in November or on Halloween. It's like the same time of the year where everybody talks about how crazy November gets and you can look at, all the seasons and all the different teams that are ranked up high that lose a close semi-rivalry game inside their conference, even hell, the 9 team. It was like 49-39 and it needed a Marquise Goodwin return for a touchdown to be able to win in A&M to where these type of games sort of are the norm for this type of the year, even if you are a really good team.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I go back to something that you said, Rod, and I think this is where the frustration is. In, in fans. I think you're you're right to be frustrated with this. Maybe not frustrated is not the right word. Just concerned about it is if you play this type of game. If you, if you if the if a game follows the same type of pattern against a certain opponent, like what kind of trouble are you going to find yourself in? And Iowa State might be that kind of opponent. Just the nature of how they play. And and I mean, you can watch that team. You know, Matt Campbell's team has gotten better since the year started. Like the fact that they're bowl eligible is a tribute to the fact that they've gotten better as the year has gone on. And just like I said, man, if Texas plays a complete four-quarter game, I truly believe they can hang with the anybody in the country. If Texas has one of these type of games against Georgia or Michigan or Ohio State, you get your brains beat in. So it's it's all it's all relative man and I, but I think that's what's concerning Rod is is at some point if this is what this team is and that complete four quarter game doesn't come are you good enough then to be able to to me anyway this is how I view it are you good enough to win the Big 12 playing that playing that style of play and honestly like I think you are it's not to say yeah. you're not going to have Know, games that are coming down to you know the last possession the last four minutes or whatever but I think you're still good enough as is right now playing the way you're playing to win this conference this year
2: no doubt totally yeah. Texas is the best team in the big 12. I, and all the teams that I've watched and and also I feel more confident about it the more the deeper we, the deeper we get into the season um but yeah I mean that the truth is it, the way they're playing right now like I said they're trending toward a loss just because they're having their worst stretch of football in these games at the end of the games. And it's it's hard sometimes for them to recover or it takes a game winning goal line stand or it takes an AD Mitchell, unbelievable, you know, iconic legendary catch. Which yeah. is mm-hmm. which is great. That's fine. But you know, at one point you're walking this tightrope between you know destiny and disaster, and yeah, you're bound to slip, right? That's just the reality of it, and I think that's where Longhorns fans are getting all nervous. And I totally you, so. I had them at ten and two. So it, 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 I, the losses, I had them different. I had them losing to K State. I had them losing to Alabama. So it, it, it may be different in terms of who what the losses are, but I had them ten and two. Exactly Dang. what we, I think most of us did. <laughs>
1: Hey, yep. T- TCU TCU won a, got to a national championship game last year. Playing like that, they did exactly. It, it, that's a
2: great point. That's a and, and totally, yep. it, it, you can do. It, you can do it. But I'm saying it is. Yeah, it's like I said. It's a lot of luck. You got to make a lot of your own luck. Um, and you know, sometimes we get into injuries, right? With Jonathan Brooks, you know that luck works against you. The injury luck works against you. And so you you, you want to close out opponents if you got a chance. Because if you don't. We've seen what happened and now teams automatically believe that they're down double digits that they got a shot against Texas. Now it's hard for you to close them out psychologically because they'll be just referencing, hey guys, you know they were they were up 20 on K-State, they was up 21 on U of H. They was up, you know what I mean? They're like, oh man, yeah. So it's hard for you now psychologically. To put the nail in the coffin of your future opponents because they're all thinking, oh, man, we still got a shot. We are still in this, no matter what Texas does. They're still in this. We watched film and we've seen other teams get back into it, mm-hmm. and now they have the blueprint on how to do it. Um, so yeah. that's the, that's that's all the concerns. But listen, I thought I, we talked about Josh Hoover said he could sling it. He was turnover prone, and that that proved to be true in the first half. Basically, TCU from my notes, they did the same. They had the same game plan in the in the second half as they mm-hmm. did in the first half except they just executed better. Fewer penalties. They they ran the ball because Texas played with a lot of too high shell coverage because they figured we're up big. We don't want to give up a big play. And they they started hitting them with the run game and hitting them with some inside breaking routes. And they it ran empty. They ran targets to, targets to bunch formation. And they were just more effective in the second half than they were in the first half. But they followed – Pretty much the same blueprint that, yeah. you know, K-State followed when they became a pass-happy team that U of H followed and U of H added the empty formation, which they used too. you know, there is a blueprint developing on how to attack the Texas defense and it is don't run on them. That's stupid. All right. And it is
0: just go pass first, you know, go pass first. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. The, the yep, thing is, the 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 up, weakness ahead,
0: that we've. It's the weakness that we spoke about, you know, coming into the season. We were like, man, this deep line looks stout. You know, Jalen Ford's one of the best linebackers in the country. But if you're going to have to attack them, at least the, the secondary is unproven. So there's sort of that area that we knew could maybe be vulnerable. Now, your D front was able to do a really good job at getting pressures. And we, you have guys that can cover really good from time to time in man coverage. So you haven't had those vulnerabilities exposed. But whenever it's – became like you said rod with the lead and you say maybe don't want to give up a big play and you're going too high and then you maybe have a little bit more zone to keep your eyes on certain quarterbacks or things along those lines that then leave you to be vulnerable if you aren't able to pass off those routes to where that blueprint is there because other teams have been able to do it over and over and i think it was worth pointing out since y'all brought up tcu and last year and rod you talking about you know game planning it was like yeah tcu found a way to survive that big 12 And when they had a month to prepare for a team like Michigan, you're able to do pretty well. Who knows how many dummy signals they were throwing in to throw them off. But then when you only had one week to probably prepare, because you weren't preparing for Georgia thinking you were just going to blow out Michigan, it really quickly, when you have that little time window, it's a lot harder to beat that team whenever you have the less time to prepare.
1: Uh, Yeah. The the difference between the the three games, again, you know, you look at the K-State game and, we can just point to the turnovers, like all the short fields you were on and everything else like that. That to me makes sense. Where, whereas, you know, the U of H game and the TCU game were more conventional games to your point, Rod, similar to U of H TCU, didn't have to stop running their base offense. Like they, they never felt compelled to, to go against the grain or do something that might've been out of character or went away from kind of who they want to be. You know they kind of just chipped away with the run, and, and at some point, you know the more tempo they they got, and they, they got, and we know, man, that veer and shoot offense once they get into a rhythm, it's hard to stop, uh, because they do go tempo on you. With with Bailey, some of those you know two and three yard runs in the second half, when you got to tempo, they became four and five yard runs, and then as the game went on a little more, you kept chipping away, running at Texas the right way. Those four and five yard runs became, you know, some of them were seven and eight. So. They never had to stop running their offense. Uh, that that to me was the key thing. And honestly, uh, this is the personnel question I wanted to ask you, Rudd. Because we, we should, I think you mentioned this after the U of H game. Like, if you're a if you're a team playing Texas, your your pass game should be a lot of bunch formations, uh, a lot of switch routes, a lot of in breaking routes, stuff that gives Texas problems. Yep. It, it. It. I. I feel like a big part of the problem is. I look at the safeties in particular. And at this point, it really doesn't matter which one of them is out there, or which pairing you go with. It just seems to me like either the safeties are slow to recognize things or they're just not playing with a lot of confidence, or maybe it's a little bit of both, but I, that's kind of where I'm seeing the breakdowns is, is at that safety position. Yeah,
2: uh, you're right. I mean, that's been uh a vulnerability, right? That's been a, a spot that teams have picked on against Texas all season long. We saw, I want to say Wyoming. Hell, <laughs> yeah. Alabama did it, right? Alabama actually did it. Yeah. Alabama did Alabama uh, attacked the Texas safeties, too. And I think ever since, tex- teams have been going out to the safeties just because they don't have a lot of foot speed. And as you pointed out, there's not great recognition among the safeties uh, either when it comes to uh, being recognized you know, route concepts, uh, they react a little bit slowly in route concepts and you can straight up, if you're in a foot race, you can beat them in a straight up foot race. Um, But I will say this, my, my biggest issue with the second, and you're right. It, it, I don't know with the safeties. I don't know if there's a fix. I think Derek Williams with the young buck is in terms of just man to man matchups, it's probably your best safety matching up. Yeah. Uh, they, they, Taff is probably your most assignment sound safety in terms of being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Um, and hell, Jaron Thompson's got the most experience. So I think they have just been really trying to figure it out. And my suggestion, you know, I was is move Jade Barron back to safety situation, but now he's dealing with an injury and he actually had an off game just because I think he was dealing with the injury and he was on and off the field. But guys, I've been tracking the targets to bunch formations and which are clustered groups of receivers, closely clustered groups of receivers and been tracking Empty formation versus this uh, defense tracking inside cuts. That's what U of H game plan really did expose. They exposed a lot. Mm -hmm. And U of H basically, they went, they must've been watching some of that film from last year because empty formation was a huge issue for Texas in 2022. And it it was actually UTSA and Alabama that broke out a ton. Shout out to Jeff Treyland. They broke out a ton of empty formation versus Texas last season. And I thought Alabama would use a lot of it this season, but they didn't, especially with Jalen Miller as a mobile quarterback. They didn't. U of H actually broke it out a ton. Um, and U of H had I mean it's five explosive plays out of empty formation. Um, I mean, they were it, that that was really kind of a I think an eye-opening moment for a lot of teams. Gameplay against Texas because TCU used a lot of empty formation too. Mm -hmm. Just want to spread Texas out a little bit. It's easier to expose those matchups, especially when you got a guy like Savion Williams, who's going to be playing on Sundays. We can talk about that too. Um, But the inside cuts, U of H did a ton of too, guys. They went hard breaking inside cuts. I'll give you a little nugget here about inside breaking routes against Texas. You look at third downs, right? Third downs um, versus uh, Texas defense. When the opposing quarterback is targeting an inside cut, over fifty percent conversion rate. Actually, you had fifty eight percent conversion rate in the last That's four nice.
1: games.
2: in the last four games. You had a fifty percent conversion rate if on third down you target an inside cut. And do you know who killed Texas on inside cuts last season? Our state.
0: state. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. I saw it in the end zone a lot.
2: Our state, man. They had a ninety over ninety percent completion percentage. They were targeting inside cuts. They were killing Texas on inside cuts. Um, So I think. That is something to watch in his Iowa State game. They already know that, and they're watching film. It confirms probably what was in their game plan from last year. That's been a big issue for Texas. In the TCU game, you're talking about an 80% completion percentage when you're targeting inside breaking routes, inside cuts. You're talking about over 10 yards per attempt on inside cuts, inside breaking routes. That's something that's been an issue for Texas really all season long, but now it's starting to rear. It was also an issue last season. And now it's starting to come back and be an issue again. So they need to be better inside leverage. Um, if you want inside leverage on Texas and they're playing hardcore and you can't get off the press, you know you can go tar- you can go targets and you can go bunch formation, right? Targets to bunch formation, which Texas also struggles with in terms of targets to bunch formation. Right now, in the last four games, I got them at giving up over 11 yards per attempt. Targets to bunch formation. That's That's way too much. So yeah. the key the, the blueprint is out there, right? You wanna you wanna be pass first, you wanna have a lot of targets to bunch formation, you wanna run some empty. Uh, you would love to go as many inside breaking routes and I'd combine them. I'd go I'd go bunch formation with in breaking routes, um, because and a lot of switch routes cause Texas every game we see it, they don't pass off routes well in coverage and there's a blown assignment in that capacity some way and they'll probably do it again against Iowa State because Iowa State ran a lot of um, bunch formations against Texas last season and they ran a lot of inside breaking routes there. Bunch formation last season targeting bunch. They were over 80% completion percentage over 8 yards per attempt. That's going to be key for them uh, in Texas in this game because I think Iowa State's going to throw all that at Texas. They may try to run but it's stupid to run against Texas. Yeah, it's too good at the interior D-line.
1: The the one play that sticks out to me, Rod, when we talk about in breaking routes, is the touchdown. Is a touchdown saving Williams caught in front of Michael Taff? And oh, yeah. this this is what brought up my my thing. And, and I saw Keaton Crawford get lost in coverage a couple times. And we, I don't mean to demean Keaton Crawford, but we talked about you know some of his issues in coverage. But like the Michael Taff one, it's you know. Savion Williams is running an inbreaking breaking route and it's like Michael Taft sees it and it's like, number one, why are you not playing inside leverage right there? And two, why are you so late to react? Like yeah. you can't read by the time the ball gets to the man, that's not the time to react because you're in, and, and not only that you're, you're defending like three yards deep in, in the end zone. Like it just, I, I know I'm assuming, let me say that I'm assuming guys are coached better than that. So that's not the problems with the secondary right now are not problems that are going to get solved this season. That's something that either they need to look at the way they're teaching it, or I don't want to throw anybody under the bus and and call for a, a coaching change here, but maybe PK just needs to get, maybe they need to find somebody as a defensive pass game coordinator or secondary coach that PK just has a better rapport with that he knows is teaching it the right way because something something is amiss, but the bottom line is, Rod, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't something that's going to get fixed in the next two games or even the Big 12 title game or whatever the bowl situation is.
2: No, no. I mean, if it if it was going to get fixed, it would have been fixed by now. They're clearly yeah. addressing it, and uh, guys are still – either giving up inside leverage or, you know, not properly communicating uh, how to pass off routes in coverage when they're in matchup zones. Um, So it's, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it, I mean, they got to have a weakness. They're not, they're going to, not going to be the 85 bears or 2000 Ravens. (laughs) Uh, and the weakness is right now it's pass defense. There's there's a way to attack Texas, and if you're a pass first team, you can do it. But if you're not a pass first team, you know you're, Texas is a bad matchup for you. But like even K State, when you can just decide, all right, you know what, we're gonna abandon the run and just throw it, you still can have success uh, getting some chunky yardage plays against Texas. And teams have been scoring fast. Like have you realized how you know notice how quick they are scoring? Like teams yeah. are scoring quick. Even start talked about it. He's like, man, it's not like guys they're putting together long, sustained drives. TCU had one and didn't even get points on that drive, actually. Um, but teams are scoring quickly. I mean, they're scoring in like two and a half under three minutes
1: yeah. against yeah. Texas.
2: And that's that's not in two-minute defense. Sometimes it is, but they're scoring in game, in game time you know, before the two-minute defense, before the two-minute drill, they're scoring really quickly. If you if you can make them, you know, march the length of the field and have to put together double-digit drives, you know,
0: even if they do score points, it still helps you, especially when you're up by 20 points. Yep, and if you look at the players, it makes me think, like, right there, we're at that point. If they're scoring fast and you're, say, playing zone and a lot of the reason why you're maybe afraid to play man is because you're afraid of giving up the explosive or the big play, it's like, well – if they're able to get it in two or three or four plays in chunk yardage, it may actually make more sense to just throw a little bit more risk at the win because I pulled the numbers and it is pretty drastic the difference between the two. If you look at the just the top 12 covered snap players, hell, you can look at the top 14 uh, for Texas that have gotten foot. So from Catalan, Catalan to Gilbo, uh, Crawford, Holmes, Hill, Benda, Taft, Williams, Muhammad. Watts, Barron, Thompson, Brooks, and Ford. Of those 14, only two of them have a NFL passer rating over 100, and both of which are linebackers, which is almost expected. Everybody else is a passer rating allowed against them under 100, and you have guys like, say, Taff is a a 23 NFL passer rating. Uh, Gavin Holmes hasn't given up a reception yet inside man-to-man. You have Jade Barron's a 39, elite. Terrence Brooks, 32, elite. But when you go over to zone and you look and see which guys out of zone, out of that same group that I just named, I believe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys with the NFL passer rating allowed over 100 and two others over 96, So, or, or actually three others over 96. So you're talking double digits, almost like 80% percent of those guys in zone are giving up an NFL passer rating over a hundred. So even though in theory, it's supposed to be something that's going to be less explosive and not give up those yards. Like we're seeing it. Like you said, the quick scoring uh, series that the opponents are having, it may be not as risky as you think, just to man up and depend on your defensive front to get home and see what you can do. Good stuff.
1: To y'all's point, I've just pulled up the drive charts from those three games we're talking about, right? Uh, U of H, uh, K-State, and TCU. I want to go to K-State. Where did my K-State drive chart go? Hang on a sec, fellas. I thought I, I had this. Stat broadcast is frizzing out on No, me. it's all good.
0: It's like just the yeah. idea of going man and simplifying it. I really think that simplification could be something that could eliminate a lot of these issues.
1: All right, so... So here are Houston's scoring drives, their touchdown drives, a minute 26, 207, 224, Uh, Kansas State's touchdown drives, 41 seconds, 413, which was, that was their uh, sustained drive, eight plays, 75 yards. Then you've got 15 seconds seven seconds. So K-State had three touchdown drives in that game that didn't even take a full minute off the clock. Yeah. Now
2: the short field. Sorry not right. help them in the office and help them. True. But I believe you're right. Some of those are like one play, two play scoring drives. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: let's see. Um, TCU, their touchdown drives, two minutes, 302, 35 seconds.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the longest one they didn't even score on. The long, the long drive, right? They had, they, they had turnover on downs. And you are correct, Rod. Right. They, yep.
1: they had a, twelve play, sixty two yard drive that was a turnover on downs.
2: Yep. But man, they scored on that one. Ooh, I, I mean, they, they were like three. That saved the game, along with Jay Witz, Hustle, and Xavier Worthy recovering the fumble and the forced fumble, and A. D. Mitchell. Honestly, those three plays are probably what won you the game. Not probably, they did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it. Man, if you if you give up 75 yards in nine plays and it only burns three minutes off the clock, right. Rod, that's a defense that ain't doing much of anything right at that point.
2: Right? That's why that's why Sark referenced 707. He said it on the say. He was like, man, like sometimes we we'll play a 707 seven out there. He was taking shots at the defense, and it, sometimes it feels like that. And, 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 and Matt's right. You can simplify it and play man. The problem with that is if they if Texas goes man, I just go a bunch formation.
1: Yeah. I force
2: yeah. you. I force you in the zone. You gotta play zone. <laughs> Nobody can. You can't play man the whole uh, on the way. You can. You can try, but you, 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 you run well into each it. other. Yeah, yeah. You go. You to End up playing some version of a of a of a loose zone matchup zone. I'm gonna force you in the matchup zone that way. And you can do that with man covers through motion and with punch formation. And teams are doing that. So that's one of the things that I I think. And if you gotta say the un-Williams, I spread you out and go empty and go matchup. Let's go. Yeah, you put unless you unless you got, ain't nobody on Texas team that can cover that dude. Even Jaden Barron couldn't cover that dude. That Mm -hmm.
0: dude, he's a monster. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's a beast, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what that we saw Worthy do it to Josh Newton. Newton was one of exactly. the best guys of the last two years, but you couldn't do anything against him. But just since I brought up the numbers and uh, I sort of charted them out real quick, I'm going to run them through if that's cool because it's pretty drastic if you look at just the difference from the guys. So Gavin Holmes and Man Zero in Zone One Eighteen NFL passer Rating, Brooks Thirty Two in Man. 96 in zone baron 39.6 in man 81 nfl passer rating in zone watts goes from 60.4 in man to 119.4 in zone muhammad goes from 54.6 in man to 100.6 in zone Taft goes from 23 in man to 96.7 in zone keaton crawford goes from 72 in man to 143.3 in zone. Even uh, a couple other guys, Gilbo was 39.6 in man to 73 in zone. Catalan goes from 72 in man to 119 in zone. Williams is the lead in both 61 and 66. But like you said, Rod, there are certain type of bunch formations and things that can definitely make you more vulnerable in man. But overall, if you were looking at just how you can maybe have a player like that performs this well in this situation, and just by changing the scheme – makes him become a below-average player in just performance thus far this year. There might be some ways where at least you're thinking that you're going to go and eliminate these ability of explosives by keeping guys in front of you maybe isn't necessarily doing what you think it's doing, and maybe the thing that's viewed as a higher risk isn't as risky as thought to be.
2: Yeah, what was the splits on Gavin Holmes you said?
0: Uh, Zero in uh, man coverage and 118.8 in zone, according to PFF. Yeah, that's in – he's had 38 man coverage snaps, and that's drastic. It tracks, yeah.
1: Man, it's uh, wild. I do want to talk about the offense a little bit before we get out of here and and maybe even talk some some Iowa State. Uh, You know, offensively – Oh, man, you get Quinn Ewers back, and I thought Quinn, you know, you could tell he's not quite 100%, but, you know, hell, 80% of Quinn Ewers, 75% of Quinn Ewers is better than a lot of quarterbacks in the country. I My biggest concern, guys, going forward with the Jonathan Brooks injury has nothing to do with the running back depth. It's the inconsistency of the offensive line, and where I see the biggest discrepancy in the offensive line's performance Is in short yardage. We know they're not very good there. They weren't very good there last year, even with Bijan and Roshan. I I don't understand like the 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 first Wildcat play. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Did you notice pretty much every Texas offensive lineman just stood straight up at the snap on a fourth and one like Mm. that? That just doesn't. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the scheme is called. I don't know what they're being asked to do, but that just doesn't sit well with me because you juxtapose that with the Jonathan Brooks touchdown run at the, after the screen pass where you've got, first off you're using your, you're your shifting your tight ends all over the place. So you're using a lot of pre-snap motion and in motion at, at the snap. And I'm just seeing like this surge of white just push through and, and Brooks gets into the end zone fairly easily. It just, it's the inconsistency of the offensive line, Rob, that just has me. Yeah. That's my biggest worry with, with Brooks being out as Brooks, Brooks could maximize runs and it was getting to the point, and it got to the point where if it's not blocked perfectly, he can still make positive gains. I don't know that the other backs can do that right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the truth is, he was arguably your MVP on offense. Um, and I'm with you. I I, I saw his ability, and you know, he's had some very similar numbers through 10 games to be John Robinson, even better yeah. in, in some respects. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where he showed his ability to. To show, you know, balance at the second level, to break tackles at an elite level, uh, and at a really high level. And he's one of those guys that showed the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield late in the season. I know he had some early drops, but he's also a guy that I think that U of H game was a game. He had a lot of receptions coming out of the backfield. Yeah, I don't know how you replace him. I don't know if he can. It'll be a money ball approach where you CJ Baxter in there and Jaden Blue and maybe Savion Red goes back to traditional running back you can hand him off the football but we know hopefully Sark has learned the lesson from the Washington game the bowl game we know that all running backs are not great in, in all running concepts right they're not you know effective and maximized in all types of running concepts so hopefully Sark knows he's running backs really well he had to chart choice and know exactly how to maximize them and how to utilize them Jaden Blue should not be running uh, in between the tackles, he should probably be running on the edges, on the perimeter. You should be trying to get him a running start a lot of the times, whether that's be a jet sweep or a toss or, you know, whatever it may be. He needs a running start because he definitely can beat defenders to the edge. C.J. Baxter probably can run inside. Sabian Red, your inside runner. But you, and Keelan Robinson, we didn't see him last week, but hopefully he's a, he's a part of it too. It's going to be a money ball approach, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went, you know, pass first I know Sark wants to close with the running game. I wouldn't be surprised if they him go pass first, but then that goes back to the severity of the injury for Quinn and did he re injure it and if Quinn has pain tolerance issues and that kind of stuff.
1: I think yeah, it's almost, you- go ahead, Matt. Sorry.
0: Uh, It's all good. I was just going to say you could tell sort of at at times later in the game, it seemed as if Quinn was dealing through some pain just by looking at his body language. And he came back pretty quick from a pretty uh, hardcore injury that is just a pain threshold type injury but I've always heard that that type of injury is really painful it's exactly my dad had surgery on his shoulder back in the day and he always talked about how bad that type of a sprain would be so just pain threshold something that you never like to see somebody have to deal with because it can just be one hit that can make it become that
1: you know I I said after Quinn got hurt when when we knew it was going to be Malik Murphy for at least in the short term I said that I hope it brought out the best in Sark. And, and honestly, man, other than the turnovers and the short yardage issues, which have not gotten fixed all year, uh, I, I felt like we saw some some creativity from Sark. What I hope the Jonathan Brooks injury does is it forces Sark to, and you know, Rod, this goes back to something you mentioned last week. Like, stop, you know, understand who your coach is and stop expecting different outcomes from him. Maybe Sark understands that you know what, I don't have Jonathan Brooks. I can't rely – I can't close out games in the traditional sense that I want to. Maybe you just got to kind of run your offense now. Like, it mm-hmm. can't be a situation where you, you worry about, man, we – okay, now we need to run the ball. Like, you just need to do whatever the smartest thing is for you to do to win the ball game.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'm and that may not you. be running the ball. Yeah, I agree. It it it, it now we, it should truly – because – you know, Sark is a pass first guy. He is a he wants to throw the football. And I almost wonder now it it so you don't weaken the arm? Because Quinn threw it a lot. I forgot how many pass attempts he had. 33. Yeah, he threw it a lot. And that's with, you know, obviously them uh becoming more conservative and not throwing the ball as much in the second half. Uh depending on how because I think the arm it could have gotten just weak. You know, sometimes injuries yep. affect the strength of something, and when you you know, you wear it when uh, you kind of wear it out through the first two quarters, two and a half quarters. It's just not as strong, you know. What I mean, as it was early on, or maybe it tightens up. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder, based on that, if Sark will be you know, kind of handcuffed in what he can do because if he knows Quinn can't sling it, you no know, forty something times a game because of the injury, then maybe he has to be a little bit more creative in in how they move the football. I I, I can't, but you're right. It's gonna come down to Sark's creativity and his innovation, whether it be in the run game or without Jay Brooks, or that be how, how do you, um, you know, basically stay a prolific, um, explosive offense without your, your MVP and without your, you know, your number one, uh, rusher and with a hurt quarterback when yours.
0: Like, yeah. And you- it'll be interesting to see how it happens against this specific Iowa state yeah. team, because, They're a weird team. If you look at them and just like their profile, like they, according to Bill Conley, have the 10th best defense in the country, but they get no pressure and they allow like the worst data. Like if you look at sacks, according to the CFB graphs, which was through week 10 sack percentage dead last in the country, 2.9% of the time does Iowa state actually get sacks now pressure rates a little bit higher it's 32 but it's still in the bottom third of the country but they're dead last in sacks that they've got and then they are ninth worst in the country in average depth of target 9.72 so you're talking about going up against sark and this team is 124th in the country and allowing the furthest depth of target like only teams like east carolina unlv umass new mexico teams like that are behind them but They've been able to be a very good defense overall. Now, Bill Conley even adds in strength of schedule, so that doesn't even have much to do with them being ranked 10th. But on offense, they're 72nd. So like the only teams with similar profiles are all these teams that play an ugly-ass brand of football. So Texas fans should be expecting a very ugly game because it's like Wisconsin's 82nd best offense but sixth best defense Air Force is 73rd best offense but 17th best defense. NG State is 75th best off and 16th best defense. Other teams like Troy or Rutgers or Maryland are similar. So that doesn't bode well. And you lost, like you said, that bludgeoning running back, somebody that we talked about, Brooks, coming into the season. He had a missed tackle force straight, of 37.3%, 19 on his 51 carries. And he kept that all the way through. His 63 missed tackles force on 187 carries. That's 33.7% elite. So you don't have that. And then you have a quarterback where his arm may be injured a little bit, but he's in an advantageous situation to sit back, have time, and throw it deep. And, and this, yeah.
1: this offensive line has done a really good job in pass protection of late, too. No,
2: I agree. That's that's a good point. My, it, the, the point is when you don't have the explosive element potentially because of Quinn Ewers' arm, will he, you know, with that wear down and we're ready to make all the throws for four quarters – as Matt just mentioned, you lose the explosive element. Jay Brooks, the unique element of his game was that he was an explosive runner. Like, he was was breaking long Mm -hmm. rushing plays and he held long passing plays, and Texas needs the explosive element. They have to have it because their red zone offense is terrible, (laughs) and their touchdown percentage in the red zone is terrible. So they rely heavily on explosive plays to score touchdowns. They cannot lose that. If they lose that element, guys – this offense could look really. It can look really mediocre but
1: that's quickly. True. Yeah.
2: Be, yes, it can look mediocre quickly because you're you're bad in the red zone anyway. Um, and the reason yeah. that you're still able to be at really prolific offense is because you're explosive and you're scoring from outside the red zone. But imagine the same red zone issues without the explosive element of your passing game not being as explosive because your quarterback just can't make all the throws with the accuracy and losing arguably, your most explosive element on the offense, period, which is Jay Brooks. I, I wonder... Yep, and there's
0: something... Go ahead. We've talked about one thing real quick, Jeff. Uh, uh, Just something we've talked about, talking about red zone and how it's became not only an issue across football, but an issue specifically for this Texas team. And it was something that I heard NFL analysts talking about uh, this past weekend. It might have been Greg Olson. It might have been somebody else. But they were saying how in the NFL, basically, they came to the point that you have to have a mobile quarterback. That is the answer inside the red zone. Like that's number two most important thing to have. And we always have talked about the one sort of flaw that we have always seen is inside Sark's offense by design he does not want his quarterbacks to run and if you're sort of taking away something that at the highest level of football they all the offensive minds have admitted this is like the second best threat to scoring is having when your play breaks down the ability to run like Texas we all pointed it out Vince Young beat Sark and beat a USC by doing that in the red zone if you don't use that now we saw Quinn running when he wasn't hurt early this year a little bit more but that's something that it's a thing that Texas doesn't have that their opponents do have and Texas has continued to struggle
1: to your i'll go back to Rod what, what you were talking about uh just in terms of Quinn's arm Bartman wonders if because there there were some throws he made in the first half of that TCU game where I'm like man I, I wouldn't expected him to to hit that but I do wonder you know I'm I'm assuming I don't know I'm assuming he went in and got a core zone shot or something at halftime that's why he went in a little bit early when they had the opportunity to get him in there. I wonder Mm -hmm. if it just got, if he just got too cold and it just not, not that he hurt himself, but it's just, it was hard to just get back into that rhythm he had when he was in the flow of it. So I wonder if Sark just needs to be, I think it boils down to Sark being more economic with Quinn's throws and may not wasting opportunities. In other words, don't tinker, man. Don't, if you, if you think throwing perimeter screens is going to wear his arm out, then, throw fewer perimeter screens. If you just want him, you know, taking shots down the, you know, throw it down the middle of the field between the numbers. uh, This is a really good time since you don't have Jonathan Brooks now to get Jatavian Sanders being back to being a focal point of your offense. So there's, you can, there are ways you can work around this and still have a productive offense. But I going back to what we talked about at the start, just the way this team is trending uh, and the way the offense looks right now. I, I, I've got a bad feeling about Saturday. Maybe it's just me being paranoid about Texas going to Ames, but I I have a bad gut feeling about this, guys. I really do. Mm,
2: yeah, but you could basically say it about all the rest of these games, right? I said that about the TC the TCU game. People said, what's your uh, upset alert meter? What do you got from 1 to 10? I said, 9. And <laughs> people were like, "Nah, that's crazy, right, B. Well, look what happened. And I'm just judging off past events, right? Look at the K-State game. Look at the U of H game. I was like, man. This team, they, you know, they, they have a tendency to have a lull and sometimes that lull happens late and there you go. So I, I respect your paranoia. I know I'm with you. <laughs> I, I don't know if my upset meter is at nine right now. TCU matched up really well with Texas just because of the twitchy fast athletes on the outside. Yeah. And they were a pass first offense. They were running the deer and shoot. There was a lot of things that matched up well. Um, Okay. I would say not match up well as, as well with Texas, but it is, I believe, the situation might be perfect because Jay Brooks is down, Quinn yeah. Ewers is hurt. You're on the road, true road test, right? It's gonna be cold as hell up there in, in Ames, hour. They know it's the last time they're gonna see Texas, so the fans gonna come out. It's gonna be crazy. John Haycock runs a three high three down, and he's one of the pioneers of it. And that's the most effective defense versus starts offense. So I'm with you. I'm trust me. I, by the end of the week, I'll probably be where you are.
1: I'm about an a- eight. Yeah. What about an eight right now, Rod? Not a lot. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
2: By the (laughs) end of in the the week, I'll probably be exactly where you are, brother. So I am not. No, I'm not freaking. I'm, I'm not gonna judge you on that at all.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty far out before Saturday to know the weather, but as of right now, they say a high of 59, a low of 31, but game time kick should be closer to mid 40s, and like you said, Jeff, about Quinn's arm, maybe, you know, the cold could affect it over time, or him just having to throw more, it's like when he came out, he looked like he had a gun, like that pass that got called back from the touchdown from Worthy, the second he threw it, I was like, that's exactly what we were talking about last week on the show, how Quinn can make throws that defense aren't expecting you look at quinn the line of scrimmage was a 43 yard line of texas and worthy steps out at the 38 yard line that's at 19 yards it's about 20 he's dropping back back to pass and on the far hash like that's a 20 yard out route ran by worthy that he zips in inside of that db from the far hash after a deep drop like that was as much arm as you're gonna get but maybe that means Texas needs to just come out firing and get the most out of Quinn before, say, maybe his arm wears down a little. But you get another week of reps, maybe the strength, maybe the endurance gets a little bit stronger and he's able to endure more high volatility or high stress throws. But that yeah, the cold weather would definitely be something to be a little afraid of.
1: Matt, what's the wind look like on Saturday? Can you tell?
0: Yeah, I looked. It doesn't look like much. Right now, the forecast at night is six, five miles an hour. Not much at all.
1: It looks like early
0: afternoons, eight to nine.
1: I was going to say, if it was windy, this might be a game where if you're Sark, you might want the wind at your back in the first quarter. You might want Iowa State playing against the wind. Maybe you can get a favorable punt. Maybe you can block a punt, uh, something, you know, get a mistake in the kicking game early. The quicker – the quicker Texas can get up in this game, the better because unlike even K-State and certainly like U of H and TCU, Iowa State offense is not built to have uh, a 20-point comeback. It's not. No, Rocco Beck. No. Agreed. Oh. All right, we'll just, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Matt, thanks for everything, man.
0: You're more than welcome.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and at Horns247.com and the Horns 24-7 Podcast feed, where you can get this podcast each and every Wednesday morning just by searching Horns 247 wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic shows and interviews are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page.
0: You just type in Longhorn Blitz?
1: For the Horns 24-7 mm-hmm. family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.